Welcome to Web3 Galaxy Brain. My name is Nicholas. At the end of each week, I sit down with some of the brightest people building Web3 to talk about what they're working on right now. Today, I'm joined by Lord of a Few, also known as Loaf, Cairo developer and core dev at Realms. Realms started life as a loot derivative NFT collection on Ethereum mainnet. In the year since the collection's initial deployment, Loaf has led the charge transforming Realms into an on-chain multiplayer resource management game. The first module will be called Realms Eternum. In this episode, Loaf tells me about the creative constraints of on-chain gaming, we dive into the game feel and mechanics of Eternum, and get a glimpse at future questing modules their composable ZK architecture enables. We're also joined for brief appearances by fellow Realms dev Threepwave and StarkNet dev Etherway. This episode grounds discussions of ZK GameFi potential in a concrete description of the Realms Eternum game. I hope you enjoy the show. GM. GM, GM, Lord of a Few. How are you? I'm well, mate. How, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Glad we're going to be talking about this. I was just pouring over the master scroll. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm pretty nice. excited. I don't know if it's grown since we last talked, but it's very detailed. There's the whole game is really laid out, really completely. Pretty much. Yeah, we've <laughs> at a high. We've level. gone. We've gone deep. Yeah. Well, well, it's actually evolving um, quite a bit, and um, Threep's been working actually on the first kind of big update for it as well. It's really like an open source document at this point. So the idea is it'll keep evolving as the game iterates and whatnot. But yeah, it's pretty detailed right now. It's super cool. So for anyone listening who hasn't uh, figured it out, we're talking about Realms and the Master Scroll is kind of like the white paper, which is bibliotechdao.xyz. If anyone wants to check it out, scroll.bibliotechdao.xyz. And we'll try and get Threep up here to chat about the updates. But yeah, I'm just blown away by just what I'm reading. It, it's interesting. I heard you talking with, I believe it was the Ether Orcs devs. If I recall correctly, you mentioned that Age of Empires 2 was an influential game for you. Is that right? Yeah, it's still an influential game for me. Feels like I, kind of reading like the manual from AOE2 on CD yeah. in uh, whatever year that was. God, yeah. <laughs> How about those manuals back in the day? They were hilarious. They were like Bibles. I don't know. I feel like AOE2 is like the pinnacle of real-time strategy to me anyway. It never really got better than that. I mean, it's different, like StarCraft and whatnot, but I don't know. I just keep coming back to AOA too. And there's like people that have been playing for 20 years. And if you ever go try to like play online against people, there's some absolute freaks you that got it. <laughs> yeah, they've been playing it for 20 years. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's a great game. That's a great, great game. I'm just remembering it now how the sort of villages and the farming, the resource collection. Mm. Every uh, nationality having their own special unit, the elephant, the Teutonic Knight. Uh, it was very influential in my uh, upbringing of video games, for sure. Oh, and also the cheat codes, actually. The uh, What is it, like the Shelby Cobra that you can get? I forget what the cheat is. You, but you type um, in the message, yeah. it makes a uh, yeah. blue and white sports car. Yeah, I think that was actually only on um, Age of Empires um, 1. Oh, the I think that was on... I uh, yeah, I think I was on one. I don't think you could do that on two. But yeah, it's all those units. It's just got a lot of depth. And I don't know, somehow it's all balanced. I don't know how, but it is. <laughs> That's true, huh? It is. Uh, I played a little bit of Warcraft, but the RPGs that were built on top of the online client for the Frozen mm -hmm. Throne. And then I played some StarCraft, especially the first one. But Age of Empires sort of cut deeper. It is a more complicated balancing game when you have all those different nationalities as compared to just three although substantially different three in StarCraft. Mm. I think StarCraft is like very fine-tuned to like 
it's a very different game. It's down to like the second and down to like the micro, whereas I think AOE is more macro based. So I guess there's a bit of a smoothing with the balancing because there's so many units. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually a good segue to what we're trying to do with Realms is um, it's definitely been a challenge. The idea of like an evolving metagame is just really compelling to me. And I think that's, I mean, you see it in AOE too, you see it on StarCraft, you see it in any like competitive um, kind of strategy game, right? That's like this, the game evolves over time. And that's the type of system that we're trying to develop, you know, using on-chain mechanics, which is definitely tricky because although StarCraft's cheap, um, it, you, know, you, you still have a serious constraint of the chain. Just the fact that, you know, everything is has to be determined by the player. And you still, you can't be ridiculous with, you know, how you write contracts and stuff. You still need to be very efficient. Okay, I have a bunch of questions, but before we get that, it does seem like kind of the perfect segue in a way, because we're talking about this 20 years of AoE 2, and the first thing you land on when you get to the Master Scroll, this kind of white paper doc, is the Eternal Game. What's an Eternal Game, and what makes that interesting? So Eternal Game, you definitely went out the first to do that. I think, um, you know, Dark Forest, uh, Gumsheet, Brody, that famous article that year and a half ago about the Web3 gaming thesis. And really, like, what an eternal game is or an infinite game that another article recently came out was talking about is just the idea of, you know, running the entire logic and the entire state of the game on chain. And by doing that, you create this, you know, well, it will basically run for the length of, you know, Ethereum. It can't get taken down. There's no central servers. By doing that, you create this sense of hyperstructure um, because people can just keep building on top. You know, people will just jump in, jump out, but the actual game will just keep existing. You can't take it down once it's deployed. So that's really the um, the idea with the uh, an eternal game, is that it really is eternal. Well, eternal yeah, links yeah, Ethereum yeah. anyway. In big quotes. I actually, on that subject, I always want to know, I remember hearing Vitalik say, maybe more than a year ago, talking about sort of pruning the state from most nodes mm. in POS while we're talking about eternal and how uncertain anything really is do you know what the story is with state being sort of only retrievable on archive nodes or, or something having to pay extra gas can that be resolved within the space of a transaction on l1 or is it going to be like a multi-block thing to get this state that has been archived do you know any of that i've listed what well, danker had touch on that but i mean <laughs> i'm definitely not an expert in that how, how they're kind of going down that path i don't think there's many people that are but yeah, there is there's that that state pruning. Uh, I think that will happen. But you can still retrieve the data. It's like if that information hasn't been used, it hasn't been interacted with, then it gets pruned and put into like a, a deep storage or something. Do you just pay more do gas you just to retrieve it, pay, or does it take more than a transaction yeah. to get that data back live? I wonder. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know. Not to derail. So the basic idea is that by using emerging ZK tech, you'll be able to create an eternal game on L1, but allow you some flexibility in the ZK stuff, uh, allowing you to do higher bandwidth kinds of computing for more sophisticated games, <laughs> but still have the eternal, in quotes, promise of L1. Is that fair? Exactly, yeah. Because, you know, like all the rollup is doing, you know, is creating this compressed state and it's publishing that on chain in a transaction and that's what you know you pay for but you know you can unravel that if you have the right built to kind of algorithm in it so to speak so all the kind of state change and is happening on starknet that's still getting posted to l1 and so you could unravel it even if starknet went down and you could get the state back so yeah it, that's how it gets you got gotcha. you while we're here we might as well say hey three wave how's it going how's your internet Hey, how's it going? Uh, we'll see. I'm, my wife did a surprise trip for me today, so I was telling the people in chat I'm at a spa. So you can let me know if this sounds terrible. The Wi-Fi is bouncing in tonight, so I will do my best to participate. 
I can hear everyone clearly. So cool. we'll see. Okay. For those that don't know me, my name's Threepway, developer on Christian Caverns and a core lord for uh, for Realms. So I work with a little bit to you, especially on things around game design and user experience. Awesome. Glad to have you. Yeah, we're going to, I think we're going to get into it really on, so I, I, well, we were talking about Dark Forest and some of these other articles uh, that have come out recently or in the last year about internal games. Uh, there's another reference in the docs, Isaac. I actually don't know what Isaac uh, is. Isaac. Isaac. Ah, uh, you don't know. Uh, so that's um, uh, Guilty Goes's uh, kind of on-chain reality that he's created, which it's, it's rather insane. He's created a simulation of the three-body problem. And so it's three bodies orbiting in space in real time. And the game is to create structures on these planets to push them into the correct orbit so they don't crash and die. Um, but all the, that computation is actually happening on Starknet. It's the craziest thing that's, that's kind of running on Starknet right now. Is it reasonable to make a comparison to an existing gaming platform to think about what is the same kind of linear progress relevant to blockchain gaming to say, oh, it's like the equivalent compute of you'd need to do it on an N64 or something, or is it really not mm. not a relevant comparison? No, I think that is relevant. In my mind, like, it's perfect for, like, this kind of low-power distributed, you know, base layer, but it doesn't have the properties we need to create very complex, provable applications. It's just not designed that way. And so you can turn up the knobs and, you know, make it more efficient. And that's what a lot of, that's what the, the current L2s are doing. And, you know, what sidechain, you know, sidechains are doing, like, um, Polygon and whatnot you're going to hit your hard constraint because it's not designed to, you know, really leverage you know, heavy computing. And the way that I see Starks is if zip files are compressed data, Starks are compressed computation. And so by, you know, running the computation off-chain and then proving it on-chain, you don't have to rerun the computation. You know, in a sense, it's you can prove that the computation has been run without rerunning it. I see. So, okay, you okay. See, see what I mean? I think so. Take me through a little bit. What's the consequence of that? Well, it means you don't have to rerun the compute again. And so you just know you can trust that the compute is run um, correctly. And you only have to verify a tiny little proof rather than rerun the computation and, and prove that. It's you just have to it's verify the proof. Opposite of our weave or like a smart weave, like where there, I think you're doing all of the compute on data that is not. You can, anybody can add data to Arweave, and it's up to local compute to verify the step from one input to the next. It, it's interesting that it's kind of the opposite of that, uh, because that for a minute was the prophecy of uh, maybe maybe if we had um, much cheaper storage, then we could have a different kind of network. Actually, before that, I even have a more basic question, which is what is required? Because in the docs, you talk a lot about, or whoever wrote the docs, talks a lot about how Mario and other iconic video gaming moments were the fruit of a constraint. But <clears throat> if the constraint, I mean, we just, it feels like only a year or two ago, we really, I mean, it's been a little longer than that, but for that many, many people are thinking about this question of on-chain gaming uh, or on-chain art even. It's been going on, but really a lot in the last year or two. Why jettison that constraint of L1 just as it starts to pop off? in favor of ZK? What is it the L1 can't do? Uh, well, just as I touched on before, like, you know, you, you, like L1 isn't going to be as cheap as it is right now. Um, you know, once we start, it, the gas will get back up. And, it, you know, it doesn't make sense to be running, I guess, individual users on L1s. In my mind, I think, you know, users will be interacting on L2s and like 
most of the transactions on L1s will just be like into machine, as in like L1 talking to L2s. Um, because this doesn't scale. I mean, Ethereum only has a throughput of like 20 transactions a second. And that's why we, we have this crazy, you know, gas prices in the last year. Well, it's kind of not much now, but, you know, when, when in the height of the mania it was, you know, you have to push these applications to it too. That's how we hit the scale that we need to, you know, like we're still so niche right now. I think, <laughs> I think we all forget we're kind of in our bubble, but like still so many people like, like aren't using Ethereum every day, but that's going to change. Sure, but people and, aren't even using um, L2s. Uh, I mean, it seems like yeah, it's not people really, aren't even using L2s. Yeah, really it's still so early as well. On L2s, aside from yeah. yield farming, it's not clear to me. It's interesting that NFTs, for instance, have not moved to L2s. I think a big problem people mm. overlook is how do people actually onboard to this stuff? Uh, if you have mm. no ETH, you're probably not going to buy Optimism ETH first. You may buy Polygon ETH, or, mm. or Matic, but even that is so mm. complicated to understand. Oh my gosh, now I have to be like trading ETH on Matic, spending Matic as a gas token. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a barrier. It, it's it, a barrier. In a way, the fees of L1 are simpler than all of that. You know, the expense of the mm. fees is less than the cognitive load of, of understanding how to spend another gas token or something. Do you worry about that for ZK onboarding or? Sorry, I just want to say it's just because we don't have the pipelines in place, right? We don't have the FTXs supplying tokens. We don't have people supplying liquidity, building credit card input forms. Like it doesn't matter if you're on L2 or L1, that tech can all be simple and can be built. You don't have to take tokens from L1 and transfer them to L2. That's just how it works today. But I see no reason why we couldn't have someone like FTX build their credit card interface, load that up for StarkNet and have that just work. For sure. I guess you might even want it in a game. This is maybe a different question in the same direction, which is, is Realms aiming to be a commercial success with a large audience primarily or experimental on-chain art and gaming that is, because if you want to seek those people, then, then you really do need that. Like, is, does that seem like a viable pathway to playing Realms, like onboarding directly from no wallet to whatever on-ramp there is that'll take you directly to ZK, having ZK gas money? What audience do you think you're making for primarily? Yeah, I think that's the, you know, that's the end game. The end game is, and this is totally possible, and there's a lot of teams actually working on this right now, um, Sovereign Stealth, um, but like you wouldn't even have to touch L1. You can onboard Fiat directly onto StockNet. And then because the gas is so cheap, you're not, you know, stumping a user with a high cost to, to transfer an NFT, for example. So it's just, it'll be straight from Fiat straight into the game, and you won't even touch L1. When you're interacting with uh, StarkNet, do you use uh, MetaMask or something else? Currently, you can use Argent or Bravos, which are their, um, their kind of native wallets. Um, but it's about to get integrated into MetaMask. It's because it uses like a different signature that it's taken longer. It's not an EVM. So yeah, that's, that's in the process. I think within a few months, that's you'd be able to interact with MetaMask. So you might be able to do it now, but I think you need to do a few tricks to get it working. But in general, the experience um, of using StarkNet is something mm -hmm. like using a wallet on an EVM chain. Well, I think the most wallets will just kind of get built into these huge apps that, that emerge. We'll probably go down the path of doing that as well. And so, you know, the user doesn't really know that they don't need to download Argent or anything. It's just like baked into the app. They will need to have some tokens to pay for minimal transaction fees or meta transactions. Yeah, they'll need they'll, they'll need some tokens. Yeah, but that can all just be done abstracted as well away when they buy the fiat as well, just straight away. So they don't know. They just be like, okay, I'm going to load it up with ten dollars, and that's the tokens. You know, and, and they don't even touch anything. They have to go to exchange or anything. Typically, when you're sending a transaction on StarkNet, are you spending ETH to pay for the transaction, or you can spend any token? Currently, you spend ETH. 
they might change in the future, but yeah. In the like next year, it seems like on this call, start playing with ZK, they're going to start playing on Starknet with paying ETH for transactions for the foreseeable future. That's the sense? Correct, yeah. I think Starknet is planning on actually using their native token to pay for gas at some point, but I'm not sure when that's going to happen. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think that's the outcome of, that's the constraint, is that this is this this new medium where users pay to update the stuff. That's where these interesting design, you know, ideas pop up and emerge, which is what's happening right now. Like it's a weird kind of space on chain gaming. Um, there's also Etherway, who's on the call, who's actually building influence. This is another great Starknet game. It's kind of a big, big space MMO. Maybe for people who, so, yeah. who aren't um, familiar with Realms, we should just give a little bit of a ground on where do Realms come from. Oh uh, yeah, we kind of just jump straight into it. I love um, it because I, I feel like there's other places people yeah. can get that basic stuff, but we should do five minutes on what is Realms. So Realms originally was 8,000 generative maps, which spawned out of the Lootverse. And on these maps, there's 22 different resources spread out across all 8,000 realms. The, 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 the most common resource is wood. It appears on like 5,500 realms. And there's Dragonhide, which is the rarest, which appears on 23 realms. And each realm has their own traits, harbors, rivers, um, regions, and cities. And so that was the kind of base NFT that popped up straight after the Loot Mania. I think our birthday was two days ago. So <laughs> Cheers. It emerged out of the Lupus, and I didn't actually deploy the um, Realms contract. Uh, Realms dev did a conspiracy, but we basically did the emergence of Bibliothecadow is uh, Redbeard and myself, I think about this time a year ago. We were kind of got, we got sniped by loot, but we missed the mint. And uh, we didn't want to pop a derivative, so we thought, well, let's make a site where people can log in and, you know, see their inventory of all the loot items. And so we hacked together a site on a weekend and made a subgraph, and that's what you could do. You could log in, you could see everything that you have in the, in the whole loot universe. And, and we really liked Realms, and we were like, well, we want to make a game. So we kind of we partnered up with the Realms dev because he wasn't quite sure where he wanted to take Realms, and and so we partnered up and we started building a game. And the first game we actually designed was it's kind of similar to what we have now, but we were actually going to build on an Arbitrum. Um, this was back in what, October. I remember this. And you remember this? Did you play the Alpha? Well, I did not really... play the Alpha, but I remember hearing about Arbitrum before I heard about the Starknet stuff. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So. Arbitrum is a great um, network, um, but we we kind of we designed this game, and it was you know it was using the diamond standard contracts. So it was like, and we just kept running into these like issues of like you know any solidity dev knows you know like contract size limit, uh, function size limit, like stack limits, like view function limits. If you like consume too much gas, the RPC connectors just say no. And so there's all these constraints, which is what I was touching on before with EVM, that I just don't think are allow for like to create a really expressive game. And like games are complex, and like we wanted to create a, you know, we want to create this like complex eternal game. And if we're hitting the headspace before we even launch the game, I mean, what are we going to do in the future? So we kind of went down that path, and we built a, a prototype, and then we realized we're hitting these constraints, and so we're like, okay, crap, what do we do? And we kind of then just got sniped by Starknet because we um, saw this whole idea of compressed computation, account abstraction, and um, all these other features. And so we're like, well, look, it's early, and it's kind of rough around the edges right now. But I mean, this is the promise to create a very immersive, you know, on-chain world. And so we kind of scrapped all our Solidity code and rebuilt everything in Cairo. And like fast forward what, eight months now, now we've rebuilt the entire game. 
on StockNet, and we're very close to kind of a public alpha, but we're just iterating fast on it. Um, but the game is probably this way to describe it would be like a slow age of empires with the kind of a complex um, economy, kind of like Eve, but not quite as complex. And all the realms exist on this XY plane. You know, you can take your army from one realm and raid another realm and steal their resources. But I mean, really the way that we've designed this from the get-go is that it's all open source. We're developing it in Bibliotheca DAO and, you know, anyone can contribute and come along and um, build the game uh, with us. So, you know, we have our core set of modules, which are, you know, running the game, but the, the modular design of the game allows anyone to come along and, you know, extend it um, if they wish. And so the basic mechanic of the game, if I understand correctly, is that owning a realm, realms generate whatever types of resources. Realms generate resources. Yeah, yes. whatever resources are uh, the properties of that particular realm. And they also generate lords, right? Every realm generates lords. But in, yes, just, exactly. just give people a high level overview, like they're generating resources, you own the NFT, it generates resources, you can collect those resources, maybe they hang around for a little bit if you don't collect them, but if you eventually don't, they disappear, and then you can spend those resources on buying different types of units, such as military units, or kind of uh, civilian units, I, I don't know what you call them. You can kind of increase your, there's like two different paths you can take, you can, um, you're constrained by a kind of a, um, uh, XY grid, which is determined by how many cities and regions you have. So you might have 100 square meters of, of building space, and in that space, you can build barracks or you can build like military units, um, sorry, military buildings. And once you build military buildings, you can then build military units, uh, which can, you know, then you make an army. And with that army, you can go and raid people and steal their, um, steal their resources. And so that's kind of like the military route. And the other route you can take is kind of an economic route where you can build work huts, which take up space on your realm as well, um, but they also help to increase your resource output. And then you can build farms and fishing villages, which generate food. And you need food in order to kind of keep your population happy, um, otherwise you're permanently resource capped, and you need food to feed your army, otherwise they, they, you know, they go hungry and they only have half health, and so you get wrecked on battles. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of deep mechanics going on in there, and we are layering. Like it's at this point, it's like an iterative process where we, we kind of have this build, and we're you know we're layering more and more complexity on um, as it goes. And are you playtesting um, this as you're building it? Yes, yeah, yeah. So we've kind of got it to a point. I think it's the only way to really design a game is you know you get it to a point where it's playable in some sense, and then keep iterating on it. I mean, you never really first build of a game is never really the, you know, you can't release that. So definitely, yeah. is it fun? Play testing at the moment. <laughs> is it fun? Well, it's, it's fun and novel because it's, you know, everything's running on chain. So, and that they're really, I mean, just touching on um, another key feature of StockNet is this idea of account abstraction and account abstraction is, um, it has, uh, in a nutshell, like, you know, um, EVMs, like mainnet and, um, any other EVM, doesn't have account abstraction, which means that your MetaMask account is a different, like it's not a contract. It's, um, you have MetaMask, you have externally owned accounts, which is like your MetaMask, and then you have contracts. In a network that has account abstraction, you just have contracts, which means that you can create like programmable accounts in a sense. And so you can do a lot of um, interesting things with that. But another I key. I was yeah. to the, um, the founder of Argent on ah, yeah. Cena's uh, Into the Bytecode, I think it was. Mm. Um, and they were mentioning that there's an EIP for account abstraction on EVM. And it's coming, yeah. For L1, but yeah. it's being built directly into the into StarkNet. Uh, that exactly, yeah. So it's like native. Exactly. It's like native. Like they designed it from the, just the get-go. 
to have it. A really simple property that we're really leveraging is this um, idea of like a multi-call. So that just means instead of having to sign every transaction after an action, uh, you can kind of queue up this thing. We call it a transaction cart. So you can kind of think of it like an e-commerce cart and you can, you know, add, uh, build an army on realm one, build an army on realm two, harvest resources on realm three, and you add all these transactions to your transaction cart and then you just sign once and they all process. And so it's a massive throughput, you know, step change. Um, yeah, that was, which is really crucial. I definitely reround uh, that episode, that part of the episode, to listen to them talk about uh, multi-call. So basically, for the uninitiated, this is like you could bundle, for instance, an approve transaction for moving your USDC and the transfer of that USDC, and you could execute that with a single transaction. Is something you could do with multi-call on L1, uh, and the same thing can be done for. It's especially useful when it take when you're doing actions that require even more uh, sequential transactions to bundle mm -hmm. them onto a UX where it feels like just one transaction for the user, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what, that's that's what's um, amazing about it. So just to give you an example, like let's just say you don't have enough resources to build the barracks. So you go to the exchange, which is we've actually, we've got a native AMM, which allows you to trade any resource with Lords, which is our native token. And so let's just say you don't have enough um, resources for a barracks. So you go to the AMM, buy the amount of resources for barracks, add that to your cart, and then you queue up actually building a barracks. And then you can't build troops without your barracks. So after you've added the barracks to your queue, you add building troops. And then you process that, and that will, that it will still process. So it'll buy the resources, build the barracks, and build the troops um, all in one transaction. Yeah, it's kind of like using cool. an e-commerce site or like when you order your delivery and you just add yeah. everything to your cart and you hit submit. It's a pretty novel experience. Yeah, it's a total game changer. That's cool. I'm excited to try that. And that's really something that's it's not like high-level primitive on L1. I mean, it's available, but it's not something that's in interfaces very much. I, I, I don't know. I guess for more like InstaDAP or more sophisticated things where you need to do multiple steps to stake something or, or, or something. But uh, I don't see it that often that, th that transactions are bundled in the UI. So it's interesting that given the bandwidth uh, limitations being broader, you're more likely to do more transactions, and so you need bundling even more so. Yeah, all on-chain games are going to suffer from this. Um, I mean, we try to minimize transactions as possible. It's like a 100x UX um, improvement by doing this. I mean, I think someone did 50 transactions queued up the other day in one, which is insane. I mean, like, <laughs> but if you, there is, like, definitely some things to figure out, though, because, like, if you have... If you don't order them correctly right now, then like they won't work. So there's definitely some polishing to do, um, but that's all kind of client-side validation type stuff. Crazy. You had uh, some thoughts on sort of just thinking about the bandwidth limitations of these different chains uh, or even, I guess, more recent games too, right? Yeah, I think what I was going to share is if you look at, um, and dear Lord, I hope my internet holds up, so if it doesn't, just yell at me. But um, if you look at modern games, modern games right now, if you look at Overwatch or even like a Warcraft 3 style game, League of Legends, they sync state back and forth between the client and the server 30 times per second. So the server is saying, I've got an update for you, and the client is saying, great, I'm going to send back my movement. If you look at how Overwatch does their netcode, when a player presses a button, they're actually sending up the last three commands that they just ran sending it to the server, the server then figures out what's going to happen, what they think is going to happen next, and then they send that right back down to the client, and that happens like 30 to 60 times per second. And if you look at what happens on L1 today, at the highest, highest level, the reason these on-chain games are so hard to make and that we hit, hit these constraints is that we are sending one transaction, which take from a user up to the server, maybe it takes 30 seconds to a minute to go through for a single button press, and then maybe it costs 30 to to $100. So with L2 
we get some benefit and with, um, sorry, with ZK Rollups, for example, we will get some benefits where the transactions may take, I think, look, if you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you get something like five seconds and they will be much cheaper, but we're still nowhere near the throughput required to what you would expect from a mainstream game today. And so when people talk about hardware limitations and the limitations behind these games, for me, it's helpful to think about, this is not like building a game for a modem in the 90s like Quake. This is like going back way back to the days of BBS or email-based games where you kind of send up one transaction and you wait a few minutes for something to come back. So the, the types of games you can build, the, the whole realms game and many of the other games that are being built right now are architected around this idea that you can't just send state back and forth, send commands back and forth. You really have to be thoughtful with what you let the player send up. And you really have to architect your gameplay, not just your backend and your servers, around this idea that the player can't just constantly spam commands for the next 45 minutes or, or hour long. And to me, that's like the real big problem we're all trying to solve here. So by extension, like critical question I have for GameFi is like, is the problem really the bandwidth or is the problem that people don't want to play games on chain that much yet? My question is, is the constraint not that people don't care rather than that there's nothing for them to care about enough yet, rather than the bandwidth limitation being a problem. But what it sounds like you're saying is that sort of decreasing the limitation of the bandwidth allows you to create experiences that are more engaging and solve the problem of like player engagement. Yeah, I think we just haven't even scratched the surface of what's possible yet. And if you look at what we have, we have a globally distributed computer where the state is synchronized across the entire world in real time with no service costs and no server maintenance. And the modules, it's in a totally open architecture that is composable. So every single module, every single smart contract can interact with other smart contracts. Where we are today is a couple of us are trying to build games that kind of look like games that already exist on chain. And if you go back to the time of mobile, that's what happened too. People tried to build games that look just like first-person shooters on phones. And it turned out Angry Birds was the right mechanic, which is a combination of physics and real-time interactions that utilize the, the medium or the surface that was the phone. And so we have to figure out what is the new shape of games on chain. The unique thing about Realms from my perspective is that Realms is a modular game. I was not originally on the Realms team. I also wasn't on the Biblioteca DAO team. I created a, a, a separate product called, or separate application called Crypts and Caverns, which is a set of maps. And when Loaf and I talked, he doesn't say things like, oh man, well, we're built in Unreal and you're built in Unity and our backend works this way and your backend works that way. He said, hey, let's get this thing running on StarkNet and let's figure out how we make our two contracts talk to each other. And so from my perspective, the pain that you're describing is transaction speed, throughput, cost. But the benefit has yet to be realized because we're at such an early stage. But if you could imagine a game like Realms where every month a new group like myself come and build a module for the game that could bring dungeon maps, that could bring monsters, that could bring world bosses, that could bring new types of economy, they could bring sea folks there's so many different things you could add to this and as those systems start stacking together they create unique gameplay opportunities you could never have from a traditionally built game built and maintained by one company and so to me that's one vector there's a lot of other vectors others are exploring but this idea of a composable modular game that never ends is something you just can't do without at least the best tech i've seen for it is blockchain technology today it is very hard if not impossible to do it on their technologies because the incentives do not align and the systems are not interoperable. I have no doubt that people who are enthusiastic will build mods and extensions to things, but I'm curious, like I felt like coming out of the loot verse in particular, loot was very hyped. It's token achieved incredible all-time highs. And then a lot of other projects like Realms were launched that had a life, frankly, that's been more exciting than loot directly. But over time, there's a 
lack of justification for those extension projects to remunerate the token holders, especially if the community is kind of dead, like loot, like V1 is, is sort of dead, for, at least for, for the moment. You want to reward the people who are playing in the realms community rather than, you know, just like whatever the, some number of VCs that still hold a ton of loot, but have never even claimed their Genesis mana or, or whatnot. So my question is, do you have any initial thoughts on how the economics work with extensions? Is it something where, because they're all tokens that are on Starknet, that people will be, you'll be able to do not necessarily vampire attacks, but other kinds of like tokenomic modular additions that allow those teams to create revenues of their own and survive? Or, or are they just doing it out of the goodness of their hearts, do you think? Yeah, so the way that we're, treating this is that each mod it's it's kind of like a app storage type model i mean probably not the best analogy but it's that you know you could come along and create a module and you know if it gets firstly it doesn't actually have to get included as like canon into the main game because anyone can actually interact with it if they choose but if it does get included into the main game you know the developers can actually build in a small fee to actually use that module and so let's say someone creates a trade route module between realms and you know whenever that module gets used like some of the resources that get traded through it is like a tiny tax that gets sent back to the module develop and so there's the incentive to actually keep building these things oh very cool and actually so we should get to this one high level understanding which is that all of the tokens that are generated by the realms that can be used to buy uh, huts for harvesting and building things or b building military buildings, etc. All of those fungible tokens that are being generated by the realms are in pairs with the Lord's token and people can swap. So can you maybe explain a little bit about the logic of how those uh, swaps will work? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like a, it's, a, it's an AMM. Um, and so you can trade as many resources as you want with Lords directly um, and vice versa. So you can generate your resources and then you can trade it back into Lords and then you can buy whatever resource you want. So it's just it, it's just like a Uniswap, but for our game tokens, in essence. And is it something that you um, would deploy yourselves or would you be using Uni V2 fork? Oh, no, we've got it. It's deployed. It's working. It's all got it running in the game. And so what, what's the advantage it? of deploying your own versus using whatever the best AMM uh, is? Uh, we're using 1155 tokens, not just ERC-20 tokens. So, you know, Lords is a ERC-20 and, you know, Uniswap token is a ERC-20, all those, they're all the same token type, but um, our in-game resources aren't the, that token type. And so, you know, Uniswap isn't a 1155 market. It's just a 20 to 20 uh, market. So we can't use that if we wanted to. What was the advantage yeah. of choosing 1155 for the in-game resources aside from Lords? It's significantly easier to kind of manipulate in the game state because if you have to, there's 22 resources right now. Actually, sorry, it's more. It's 22 resources, but then there's two resources for food, which are also in the same kind of contract. So the benefit of doing the resources like this is that you have one contract for all of them, for all the resources, rather than, you know, 22 different ah, right. ERC-20 contracts. So wood is token which ID would be one, a, metal is token ID. Exactly, yeah. Then one exactly. quantities of each token ID, but they're all in the same contract. Exactly, yeah. They're all the same contract. So, like, uh, the way we do, like, cost structures, and whatnot you know if you buy a barracks it loops it you know checks you know what you know it'll subtract resources from your wallet um accordingly but like if we were to do that the other way then we'd have to like subtract resources from five different you know other contracts in a game environment it, it makes a lot of sense 
and you know we have these resources right now but you know the crypts and caverns um module will introduce another six resources as well so yeah it, it becomes very unwieldy and co- also costs a lot more if you're gonna the other way and those say for the crypts and caverns resources those will be new 1155 token ids on a contract that inherits the original contract it's the same on the same that's region. the same contract okay. so it just it's the same contract so yeah so it just extends it so they i think it's ids 23 to um 28 so hot uh, resource token IDs is the next <laughs> horizon. Of... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so basically, if I want, so I have, I have a realm, I have uh, dragon hide, uh, some like rare resource, and but I need wood to build barracks. So I go to your AMM. And it, by the way, is it Nifty Swap or I know? Um, those... Yeah, it's, so it's actually we're inspired by Nifty Swap, but we've rewrote it in Cairo, and so it's kind of native now. It's a bit different now. Crazy. You, um, can you explain a little you, bit what Nifty Swap uh, was and what you, you're doing differently? Nifty Swap is was developed by Skyweaver guys. Yeah, They're, Horizon. Um, yeah, coming. Yeah, Horizon. Yeah, it's just a you know it's an AMM design that allows like a, for eleven fifty five contracts to interact with a ERC twenty contract. So you mean, instead of just trading like one to one, you can trade like woodstone, coal, copper, or whatever you want, up to like twenty two of them directly with lords in one transaction. So you don't have to do one at a time. You can just buy 20 at a time or 50 at a time, basically. And so it's, it's an AMM design that existed in, or that they developed the original contract in Solidity, which is, is a very nice uh, contract. And we just decided to um, remake it in Cairo. So we've changed it a bit because of kind of Cairo's quirkiness and added a few new features. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's a nice, it, it is open source as well. So anyone can actually use it. I can imagine interacting with that marketplace is going to feel very magical to people who have a lot of experience on L1, like swapping tons of tokens for other tons of tokens, it's five seconds mm. around time, free, essentially free gas. And it's, yeah, all, it's, and it's, it's quite magical. Farmed in a way. It's it, like it feels like free resources, at least at the start, if you have an NFT, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, I think this is, the, this is the, the challenge is like, you know, we don't want to make a yield farm. Like we're trying to, um, you know, create these, you know, a lot of burn mechanisms. So there's a constant, there's a equilibrium between production and consumption in theory. We'll see what happens, but that's the idea. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't think the resources are going to have like a huge value, but they're going to be in high demand. Um, and so you'll have to be, the, like, I just think AMMs are like, I'd probably argue that the biggest invention that's come out of blockchain um, as an, on, and that, that the app player. And I just think that they that don't leverage enough in games. So that's why we're using them. Totally. So essentially, Realms is a free resource to play game on StarkNet. Free resource. Well, yeah, I mean, you generate the resources. But the idea is that um, people can come along and craft those resources together to create high-level resources in the future uh, that do other things in this game world. So these resources are like kind of a base primitive, um, um, but they can be composed together to create like the next layer. So to play the game, does somebody have to, essentially has to own a Realm NFT? Um, yeah, so the the game that we've been talking about is um, called Eternum. And so it's like the Realm versus Realm. And so you have to have a Realm to play that, that part of the game. But it's really just like this first, you know, it's really the first module for this uh, world we're building. And the next module we're uh, building, which comes along with the crypts and caverns, is uh, this adventurer module. And the adventurer module is this free-to-claim on-chain character. And with this on-chain character, you can equip it 
items and you know you can you'll be able to quest it in crypts and you'll have to quest them on realms and that will be free to free to claim but it will still exist in the same economy and so these little adventurers will be able to craft items and sell them back to the realm holders or other adventurers and whatnot so you know the idea is that we're creating this full-blown you know on-chain economy so I was gonna I was um, gonna say even before that you could play the game without having a realm in the sense that you could go and spend your die or ETH on Starknet and just buy all the food to starve all the realms. Yeah, you could. You could just you could just play the market, really. But um, now, now that and, there's this yeah. uh, future uh, sort of questing adventure model module module, then you could it is sort of free to play in the sense you can claim the character for free and then start playing the game and buying the resources that are being generated on NFTs that you don't need to own yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're going to be taking the actual original loot contracts. We're going to be distilling them onto StockNet into their individual items. And then those are the items that you'll be able to equip onto your adventurer. Um, and so we'll create this whole new um, metagame around that. All right. I have a reason to hang on to my loot then. <laughs> yeah, hang on to your loot. Loot's a, loot's a historic NFT. It's a, it just, you know, it got the, probably got the VC kiss of death. Like a few projects have. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. There's also a lot of talk about how, generating a treasury might have changed the course i know um dylan i think so for sure dylan from figma was a big proponent of that but it was sort of the discussion about that happened at the same time as there was discussion about transforming the governance of loot which had no governance into uh, agld denominated governance i think they were presented as part of the same kind of wave of proposals very early on and it following a different path from nouns where it wasn't generating a uh a treasury and maybe people would take it on and do their own things with it but it does seem like the vc kiss of death paired with the lack of a treasury seems to have sort of created incentives where builders who are interested in loot don't have a direct incentive to build on top of loot itself anymore yeah i think that was definitely it's one of one of the issues um i think you need a treasury just to keep keep uh, momentum and i mean this whole space allows for some really interesting treasury uh, creations like nouns and other things but yeah i mean it is what it is right but it still sparks you know i mean is there has there been another project that sparked that amount of derivatives and that amount of other projects that's yeah, ever existed it, it's a beautiful project so. it remains a beautiful yeah. project and i think there is yeah. I was talking to somebody um kenny from studio dow about shark dow who's yeah. someone in shark dow and shark dow had been sort of dormant for a while and he kind of taught me that these things that have a major cultural moment uh, and maybe aren't so productive at the time you're observing them doesn't mean they're dead forever. Uh, things can still happen in the future. They can be picked up and repurposed in different ways, especially something like loot, which is essentially CC zero. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we all have attention spans of ants these days, especially in Web3. Everyone just expects things to happen overnight. Um, but, you know, world building takes time. And uh, loot's definitely not going anywhere. You know, we're, we're, we're not going anywhere. You know, we're building for decades, hence the eternal game. Loot's going to live on. And there's a lot of other builders happening. Um, you know, there's a lot of things happening right now. I think um, the Genesis I just launched, which is a really great on-chain um, library. Yeah, uh, I haven't in, taken in a, a look at it yet, but it seems to be interesting. It's from the people who did Genesis Adventurers, um, mm. Genesis Loot. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to take a look. Um, so Loot's definitely not going anywhere. I definitely don't sell you loot bags. <laughs> I had a, a random question from reading the docs. What is Strollsley? Is that the grid of, of each realm? Strollsley? Yeah. Oh, uh, that's just realm number one name. Oh, Strollsley? Really? So that's just the name of the realm. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. It's peppered through the documentation. It's just because it's examples of visualization. I see. Okay, silly me. So 
you talked a little bit about the the military and economic paths, but I think now we have like a better understanding of how the game kind of works, at least the first module of the game, let's say. What is the like play feel of the game if you're following one or the other of the military or economic paths? What is it? What am I doing when I'm actually playing the game? So the, the, every realm exists on a um, like this XY plane. And so you have to travel from realm, you know, realm to realm. If you want to attack it, so let's just say you know your uh, your closest realm you can attack is you know ten minutes away. You would create your army and then send your army off on its travel. And after ten minutes, then you'd be able to attack that realm. When you attack the realm, you can, if you're successful, you steal some of their vault, and so you pillage that pillage that realm, and the, those resources become yours. And you can go and trade them and build it up next army and and keep pillaging. And so yeah, so it's really about a game of conquest right now. And like this is like the way we've designed the the combat system. Like it's still quite primitive because like it's it's tricky to create like a complex meta game. And so we're going through a few iterations still to try to you know crack the the, the funnest element of it. Um, but having this like spatial time element will create a you know in a sense a social layout because you'll see where realms are traveling to so you'll probably avoid um traveling to the same realm another realm is traveling to or like you can team up with people and go and actually wreck someone if you're going to raid them at the same time and act totally empty their vault um so yeah that, that's really the, the, the core of the game it's you know uh, you know you've got to manage your economy um in real time and then you've got to manage your armies and you can build up a defense loaf i think you got rugged Oh no, Loaf got rugged. Well, what what better opportunity than to say, hey, either way, how's it going? <laughs> good, good. Uh, <laughs> sorry there, Loaf. We can't hear you if you can hear us. <laughs> uh, either way, what are you working uh, on yeah. in the space? Oh my God. Uh, yeah, so uh, briefly mentioned by Loaf earlier, I am working on a game called Influences a Space Strategy MMO. It's built on Chain and on StarkNet. Uh, this week has been absolutely nuts for us because... We launched new features into our testnet and we incentivized it and we've had thousands upon thousands of people basically trying to break our game in every which way, which is exactly what we wanted. But uh, I've been like an octopus in terms of chat support. I didn't know that I had eight arms, but I've been in the the trenches of chat support for about 14 hours a, a day since Monday, I took a break to listen to this just so that I did not have to do chat support. Although I am in the Discord right now, also chatting while talking. So <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been a hectic week, but it's exciting. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Lofar, are you back? Can you hear me now? Oh, I don't know what, what happened there. I could hear you guys. Uh, I think you were saying um, work, you could work together uh, to visit a, another realm altogether to sort of te- do teamwork uh, raiding someone else. Yes, exactly. So you can you know team up with your realms that exist near you and you know plan out plan out a you know strategic attack to empty your enemy's uh, vault. The world is actually a one to one scale of the actual Earth. That's how big it is, and they all exist on X Y coordinates. You know, traveling to the other side of the world, we're not quite sure the exact time that's going to take, but it's going to take quite a bit of time. So there's going to be localized battles going on all the time um, over like big travels. So I've got a, a strategy question for you when it comes to realms. Do you think maybe owning Dragonhide's probably a dangerous game to play? I feel like you're going to get raided all the time. Yeah, like so you should because you have something rare. So everyone's coming for you. 
but you still get your part, you know, you still can generate unstealable resources every day. It's just you'll probably never be able to claim your vault. So your vault accrues over, currently it accrues over seven days. And so if you survive seven days without being attacked, then you can claim your entire vault. It'll be seven days of resources. Of whatever um, is unique to your realm, the properties. Whatever unique is, exactly, yeah. So it's kind of like this big bonus that if you can survive until then, you get this bonus. And so the, the rating kind of aims to actually balance out the resource distribution. So, you know, Dragonheart kind of gets distributed because people are rating it. Otherwise, it's too, too concentrated, right? And so that's how we're kind of balancing the consumption of things. It's like there is an equilibrium like across all the costs of buildings and farms and troops. Um, but we'll see what happens in the economy. I mean, it's totally unpredictable in the free market, right? So, for example, if I had an NFT with a realm with a... Um... Dragonhide, whatever the most valuable resources in the game, then I might choose to pursue the economic path where I sell this valuable resource on the market and put what profits I can make from it into defending from raids. Whereas if I have a exactly. a worse realm, I might I might try and attack. Yeah, probably. The, yeah, I think that that's probably going to be a strategy that will emerge. Is that use your wood realms to you know amass big armies. And, and red people and your rare realms, you'll probably always be on the defensive. My big question about this is, given that it's an eternal game, are you allowing the development team still the strings to pull to play with balance? Because it seems like something where the balance is constantly, <laughs> constantly going to be in need of change. Yeah, so the, the actual, like, like right now in Alpha and Beta and whatnot, we'll be tweaking that with velocity. But, uh, you know, once production is launched, it'll balancing will be able to go through the DAO vote. And the DAO is currently governed by all the realm holders. So it kind of forms this world government that can come together and um, vote on changing the game kind of parameters if they choose. How's so the, the, how's the, the actual game will evolve. Token. Realms. Yeah. Well, there's 2,000 holders. There's some big whales. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's a decent distribution. But I expect that to become more distributed you know as time goes on i guess also you wouldn't really want to ruin the balance of a game that you are a whale no it's it's kind of counterproductive to do that so you know you want the best game um everyone's incentive incentivized to kind of create them the best game if everyone's kind of in a sense sharing ownership okay so okay so that's interesting so now we get to a little bit of a feel of what the gameplay might actually be like from a player's perspective yeah. There's a big globe as well. There's like this. We've we've created this uh, 3D representation of the whole world, which kind of just interprets the on-chain coordinates. But you can visually see how far you are away from other realms. It's quite a quite proud of the globe. <laughs> it's quite fun to just crawl around it and you know see where realms exist and 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 whatnot. Mm. The the maps. The map's fucking rad, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's got some iteration as well. I think we're we're probably gonna like pipe in like real time data into it, so you'll be able to see where people are traveling to in real time when battles have happened. So you just have to sit back and just like watch the whole world fall apart. interacting. <laughs> yeah, fall apart, empires rise and fall, etc. Uh, okay, so this is really, really not the same kind of game, but I am a little bit uh, in a rabbit hole lately on YouTube of watching this guy pl CG plays play Territorial IO. Have you ever seen this game? I have not. Um, it's like a, it's like a, in a way, a very stripped down version of this with the m sort of tighter constraint. It's like just a, a rectangular map. It uh, looks like the map of the world. Uh, there's many, many, many players spawned all over the world. 
and they can they have like a natural population growth that grows the surface area of the map that they occupy and then they start to abut one another uh, uh, you know shortly into the game like maybe a minute into the game they're all touching each other and then they can dedicate a portion of their population to attacking neighbors and there's also like a communication layer where you can right click on another player and send them an emoji message and there's like emojis that represent like peace agreement or you can point tell them to attack somebody else or you can tell them to you know do a handful of other like very very basic communication features it might be interesting just to look at as someone who likes games but i wonder if that's something of what the dynamic will be where people are really communicating a lot even lots of deception in order to in, in this game for instance what you really want to do is like grow your population so that you can do attacks and there is some game theory to how much of an advantage you need to really be able to win. So you encourage all of your neighbors to focus on attacking each other while you build your population. And then eventually you attack strategically the ones that will allow you to vanquish them and then collect their territory in order to grow your population faster. I wonder if, if this is uh, something like what what uh, what realms, or it's not realms, what, you said, Eternum, you said it's called? Eternum, yeah, realms of Eternum, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's the game name. Um, but that sounds like a fun game. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, that's the, 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 the idea of diplomacy is very fun. And I think uh, some of the ideas around, you know, perhaps you can create a peace agreement with a realm on the other side of the planet. Um, and so by creating that peace agreement, it means that, like, your troops can heal there or you can fast travel there. But it also means they can fast travel to you. So that means they could also instantly attack you, which might create some, something interesting out of that. So... You could deceive people you into giving them peace agreement, it, and then just actually wreck them, right. and then 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 cut your peace agreement, um, so they can't get back to you. Three <laughs> uh, uh, wave suggested on text that I think it's a great question. I'd love to hear what has changed since the first alpha to right now. But especially, I want to know: has there been like uh, obviously you look at something like Dark Forest, like DAOs that can coordinate, uh, you know, larger mm. quantities of resources can change the game but there's like a whole other meta game that can happen they're not individual players anymore they're there's something else mm, guilds uh, okay are there guilds in in uh in Eterna? yeah there's guilds are quietly doing mischievous things probably at the moment um <laughs> there's yeah, there's there's a few guilds we're talking to um and, and then this is like just to touch on another great benefit of account abstraction is that you can do these uh, very cool guild structures that you know that can have any parameters you want. So, actually, he's part of the core team now. His name's Distracted Dev, and he's created a guild system uh, that allows you to basically play co-op um, on chain games. So, you create a guild, which is a contract, and it has different per um, permissions. So, you can be the admin, you can be a member, or you can just be a user, or anything else. And let's say, you know, as an admin, you can deposit your NFTs in um, and only you can actually withdraw them. But whilst they're in the guild, it means that members can actually use those NFTs. Um, and so you can kind of create this guild system where maybe you can like run in shifts. So like say I'm in Australia, I'll do the day shift and then when it's night, oh, <laughs> and then you can do the night, my night shift and then it's just basically 24 hour gameplay. Um, uh, in this in this guild environment, um, which is quite cool. But yeah, I mean, and then you know, the guild could also have different parameters. Like, let's say, um, if it's not your NFT and you harvest resources, then you also get a little bit of those resources as like a payment for managing that realm. Um, 
And so I think that's how we, because uh, it is quite concentrated right now. It's a 2,000 um, helpers. But like, I mean, the best game will be if there's like 8,000 individual people playing each row. That will that'll create the most, you know, energy in the system. I want to say, uh, not not my NFT, not my GameFi or something. Maybe maybe there's a movement against these uh, account abstraction these, ways of playing. These, these skills. No, I think that, I mean, uh, everybody likes playing co-op, right? Um, it, was, it was a damn shame they, they started scrapping couch co-op, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm... I mean, uh, I, I'm going to create a guild to play Influence and Realms, and I'll probably get some of my other friends who aren't that deep into this space to start playing through, you know, my NFTs, um, and I'll, I'll onboard them that way. And I know there's a bunch of other people that will do the same. That's cool. That actually makes a lot of sense, especially in terms of engagement with something that's going to be quite technical. There's a lot of people who mm. play play games by watching a close loved one play games uh, mm. and have a lot of experience can- games that way, or or on YouTube also. I mean, geez, Twitch. Yeah, you can like share your you can share your game NFTs now through these guild systems um, safely. So you know it's it's trustless environment. I think it'll it'll really help to onboard more people. Fascinating. Uh, what are goblin towns? So goblin towns spawn randomly on your realm, and you have to cross them in order to earn your lords. So nothing's free. So it's not just like a you know click and claim lords. You actually have to build your army. Um, which you have to build a barracks for or any other military um, building. And then with that army, you have to go and kill your goblins. And then once you've killed the goblins, you you get rewarded in um, lords. Cool. Um, yeah. actually, this... so it's kind of like barbarians in, in civilization. Oh, okay. I haven't played Civ actually. Uh, so, but basically uh, like there's something that's uh, like almost like mobs that you just you can deal with relatively easily. You have to go and yeah, they're not. They're not going to be that. They're not going to be that hard. They're probably going to be relative to how um, uh, how rare resources you have on your realm. So, like, if you have rare, if you have dragon hide, you probably spawn, mm-hmm. you know, fairly strong goblins. Um, and it's just you know, it aims to balance the game to make it fun for um, you know everyone playing. Um, but you still have a huge advantage, you know, having those rare resources. Just you know, um, this is not as easy. Like the goblins aren't going to be like, you know, you're going to get crappy goblins raiding your wood realm and you're going to get pretty strong goblins raiding your dragon hide realm. Right. Although they don't really raid you, they just kind of sit there and they, you have to kill them. Um, so I know that there's like a concept of troops, different types of troops, and then they can be combined into squads. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes. So the current combat system is uh, you build an army composition, like a squad composition of, um, and we have, uh, we got sixteen different, no, we got twelve different troops right now, and so you can just create, uh, you create a army of fifteen different, troops. um, and then that army could have any composition you like, and then you use that army to raid goblins or raid other realms. Um, but I think we're probably you know like that, that's the first kind of uh, combat system that we've developed because it was quite a challenge to do that in contracts because there's a lot of like backing and expanding and you know simulation between two armies going on but we're you know we're, we're actually we're already working on the next version which is probably going to be a lot deeper and allow for some more strategic type gameplay um but yeah these things take a bit of time but yeah that, that's the kind of current combat system we have right now it's all an iterative process right and it's three was touching on this whole new constraint and like you don't really know how it's going to feel until like, you build something so we built this thing 
And like it feels fine, but it, we're we're thinking that we need to go a bit deeper in in, in terms of its strategy, kind of um, emergent gameplay capacity. I'm curious in terms of modularity, like um, say the troops and the squads are, are kind of going to be ignorant of the Crypt and Caverns module that comes forward in the future, correct? Like they won't be interconnected characters. Uh, like we, we might make it so squads can actually raid crypts, or we might just make the whole crypts module really dedicated to the adventurers. Um, right. I, I asked to be determined. less to like nail you down on some tech spec that's deep in the stack that relative to people yeah. who haven't played the game, but more because I'm curious. It seems like at the when you set up modularity in these games, of course, anybody can read any of the public view methods or however it works in Cairo, but um you're not going to let people bring their own characters where they can set the, create their own contracts and set their own properties in order to dominate a like a combat system for instance uh yeah like any big change to the game state will have to get approved by the DAO. so they'll go through like a process of like you know auditing and um you know some kind of balance um uh, like get right access to any other contract. <laughs> you need permissions to do that. So yeah, it, it, yeah, for, for sure. But but even like, let's say you were to have a, I don't know, let's in a simple imaginary example, let's say that there, the combat system is something that sources uh, player characters from another contract. The DAO would want to have control over which contracts are admissible to bring characters to the table, or uh, exactly, that, yeah, something yeah. like that, right? Yeah, like any any like cool update to the game like there's he's it can't just be a free-for-all like it's, it's gonna have to be some process to it and that will be controlled by the DAO. right um, yeah. i wanted to ask also i saw in the docs that there's uh the orders from loot are not able to fight with one another in the initial drop of the game correct yeah so you can't attack your own order so we really want to drive this kind of order meta gameplay I, I hope that kind of people filter into the order that they, you know, most identify with and uh, c creates these, like, kind of, I guess, concentrated order ownership. And then we can initiate big wars between the two orders and rivalry. Um, it, it adds a nice social layer when you um, filter people into groups, right? So that's what we've really tr been trying to do. And yeah, the, the, the orders exist in the original loot contract. Do, do they where they, they were... exist in the realms contracts, right? Uh, they do. Yeah, we, we, we added them. So, yeah. Oh, cool. They've, okay. they've been added. So there's 500 realms to each order. Oh, interesting. And they exist in proximity to one another in the world map. So you were able so, to you... add metadata to the version yeah, of realms the, the... StarCat? Yes, yeah, yeah. So all the realms metadata is on chain, and I've kind of got a system for right now. I mean, it's like all our, our contracts are upgradable at this, you know, in this iterative process. So you know, we're, we're adding. Um, uh, we can we can just easily add more metadata um, on chain. It, it's you know, you know um, it's all structured, uh, and that's for how the game you know talks with one another. It just checks the on chain metadata and then does the action. Um, okay, I've been asking all of these uh, very pointed questions, but I feel like there are broader topics about gaming that y you want to talk about. <laughs> so what, what 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 am I ignoring, or what, what's the more interesting story here than these uh, specifics about gameplay? 
I think, uh, uh, to be honest, I think we've actually touched on, um, three touched on it. I think that's what, what he touched on about this constraint of this new medium and this shared substrate that we're all kind of um, deploying on is, is what really fascinates me in this whole on-chain space. And like, I think um, Will Robinson did a post the other day about on-chain games, and there was like, there's like 20 teams doing real, you know, actual on-chain gaming. Uh, it's still such an early space, and so you know we need to figure out what, you know, what is the fun aspect of these on-chain games because it's a new medium. You can't apply old game design to this new medium. It's got to be a new, um, uh, kind of new, new type of gameplay. So that to me that that's the most fascinating part is that it's this new medium that we all share. And so, you know, we'll probably do some kind of on-chain collab with, um, you know, influence, you know, perhaps uh, some influence um, resources, you know, an asteroid crashes on, on, on in the realmverse or something. And, you know, contracts start talking to one another. But it's only possible when, you know, your, all your logic and your state exists on-chain. Yeah, to me, that's 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 what I'm most excited about is to see. Imagine if every API in the world could talk to every other API without going through any middleware. And you know, the more complex we get, um, you know, well, as long as everyone keeps their contracts composable, um, we'll we'll see some really interesting things emerge. Yeah, I think Three really nailed it, uh, and you're yeah. also talking about this. Um, th- what I feel is very under represented in the conversation about what makes uh, Web3, specifically Ethereum and, and sort of chains of solid repute uh, valuable is that you can deploy the contract once, deploy software once. I mean, mm-hmm. AWS does not offer that service. Uh, no. And that's very powerful to be able to walk away and know that something's going to keep keep running and composably so with other people's work. Anybody who's dealt with software knows that I mean, I often talk about it more like a performance art than uh, the analogy that's usually drawn of writing, because with writing, you publish the work and you may want to do revisions at some point, but the published work essentially survives as is unless it's destroyed. Uh, But network software almost never keeps working just because of changes in the ecosystem around that it needs to adapt to. Um, So it's very exciting to have network software that is, if not eternal, at least potentially long lived. Yeah, this this idea of just like this, you know, thing you deploy and it's up. It's always up and it's distributed across this world computer. Um, and it's still, uh, this is a totally new concept, right? I mean, it's really, you know, Ethereum's only really started to kind of kick it to gear in the like three, last three years. Yeah. And so it's just going to grow and grow. And now everyone's kind of, and I kind of see everybody as a gamer. Um, some people don't like to call themselves gamers, but they play some kind of game. Um, whether it's like a physical sports or it's a video game or it's the stock market or whatever it is, everyone likes playing games. And I think people are generation, like there's a, everyone's kind of a gamer and everybody, you know, generation below us, um, everyone is definitely a gamer. Yeah. It's this really exciting space to be in, especially in the, the kind of stock net space. There's just a lot of really interesting teams, um, building like, uh, I, I, Goza and, um, Isaway. Um, and there's, I know there's a bunch of other, um, um, there's like this really just interesting developer community that everyone's sharing, um, uh, everyone's sharing code and solving problems and kind of building this like new, really interesting network together. 
That, that was actually my last question for you. What is it like building in StarkNet? Because I've heard you say that it was an attractive community to join that's very supportive. And I'd like to know, I think one thing that maybe people don't realize so much, the water that they're swimming in is is the ecosystem that they're building inside of. And Solidity and, and Ethereum broadly have a very conducive community. Very great. Yeah. Open source. Exactly, yeah. Um, actually, surprisingly friendly for such a technical cutting edge community. It's not, a, not gatekeeping, uh, really. Um, is, mm. is Starknet like that or what makes Starknet uh, fun to work in? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the spot on with Ethereum's, um, I mean, that's why it's so attractive to me uh, personally. And I think Starknet's just kind of followed down that path. But I think um, because it was, Stark was kind of approach to it was, well, let's create the you know MVP of this network, which was like Starknet 0.01, which was, Super primitive. Uh, that was what this time last year, about I think. Um, I don't. Sorry, it was. I think it was like March last year. Uh, anyway, it, it didn't have any features, and they just took the approach of, well, let's build this with the developers. And so, I don't know how they did it, but they managed to spark, you know, a bunch of really great, talented builders in the early days, who started building some really interesting things. Um, which then sparked on the next chunk of builders. But I think because it had this kind of almost like a difficulty filter, as in, you know, Solidity already had its like five years of tooling. You know, you can just like NPM hard hat and like you're ready to go. Um, <laughs> like, you know, uh, Starknet's like in Cairo, like it's, it's, it's in Python, like the tooling is clunky. Well, it was, it's getting a lot better. Um, there's no stack overflow. So, like, you run into a weird error, like, you have nowhere to go. Um, so, you just need to figure things out. And I think that, and, and also, there wasn't, like, the, didn't have the mercenary um, mindset, I think, um, because it had that difficulty barrier. So, like, you couldn't just come there and, like, deploy something and just, um, you know, expect it to be successful. You kind of had to, um, you have to go through the pain of learning this whole new thing and, and building this thing. And, and that kind of filter just, it just sparked this really great, build a community um really the antithesis uh, of, which of it's Ethereum a, at that moment or evm at that moment which had become so yeah, much about just um, dropping tokens on all the chains exactly yeah um so that's what was so appealing to me like i mean i didn't know about that before i kind of got involved like it's kind of got sniped by actually i think i got inspired by the dope wars engine originally dope wars built this a really talented builder called parama designed this he was like one of the earliest darknet builders and he built this kind of dope you know like the that was actual game from like your calculator. He rebuilt that in in Cairo, and I was looking at that, and that's kind of what got me most inspired to build on Starknet. That sniped me, and then I just kind of went down the rabbit hole, and that was it. That's so great. That's um, so great. Another another yeah, path through loot through Dope Wars, which is totally a different aesthetic, essentially based mm -hmm. on the fact that Denison wasn't that attracted to the aesthetic of the loot style, and it was instead into the Dope Wars stuff. And and it's crazy that that would bring you to to zk but Starknet. yeah that's yeah, so, no, crazy so basically cool people open source fun and this difficulty barrier made for interesting discussions very interesting discussions that everybody just wanted to help one another and just build crazy things it was just about this is about building like unhinged and like you know forget what you know about solidity this whole new medium just explore it that's really the advice i'd give to anyone starting to build on Starknet. just like this like don't just think open zeppelin is what you can do <laughs> like there's, I mean, maybe I've just been writing Cairo for too long now, but like I prefer writing it much 
to solidity. Really? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I've gone mad. Um, but it's like once you kind of get the design patterns, hmm. it's actually a very composable language. And I don't just mean from like a contract point of view, it's like the same type of composability as Ethereum. I mean, like when you're writing a complex program, because you kind of write it like a Python program in a sense, um, but you you know when you deploy this thing, like it's all provable computation, so it's kind of insane. But you can create very complex, um, you know, applications. That is insane. Uh, so okay, I, I don't want to keep you forever. Also, we're on a crazy time difference, which is cool and uh, a testament to the global nature of crypto. But if people want to play with Starknet, I was going to say what's the easiest, but it, that it sounds like just deploying Solidity contracts onto StarkNet is not really the point. And they should jump nah, directly not into not in my mind. Anybody coming from, I mean, if you only know JS and Solidity, you might be a bit of a barrier. But anybody's established in Python and set up environments and whatnot, or if you touch C or any kind of lower level language, you'll be totally fine. You just got to get through a bit of a barrier and learn the syntax. And, and then you realize it's, it's, quite, it's quite nice. But you just gotta you gotta break down that door. You just gotta dive in head first. What's like and, a Cairo Hello World? Like, what would be the basic proof of, like, of a zk application? Um, I just write it, write a contract that does something. And it just, it just so I'm just thinking that I mean we've kind of got our own container where we run everything in. So I'm just thinking where you didn't start. You, I mean, do the Cairo one on one. I mean, if you do the Cairo one on one and learn the basics, then you'll be totally fine. And the Starknet Discord's great. Um, and anybody builder, like if anybody's on this call that like wants, you know, I'd be happy to point them to a bunch of things. Is that um, where people hang out, the Starknet Discord? Yeah, or you can jump into our Discord as well. Uh, we have a few Starks channels um, where people can talk about things. Um, the Matchbox DAO Discord is a, the Matchbox DAO is like a DAO dedicated to on-chain gaming, specifically on Starknet. Um, there's a lot of cool things happening there as well. We're part of that. To Starknet, yeah, I mean, or does Starkware fund development of experimental research stuff on Starknet at all? Yeah, so they gave us a small grant uh, a while ago to build that AMM, um, and uh, I mean, I talked to them, talked to them a lot, and I mean, if you do have like something interesting and approach them, they probably will give you a small grant. Cool. Um, probably more than likely. I mean, I think they're still doing it. They're definitely still doing it. Yeah, they've been really good with that. And I think that probably sparked a lot of their um, the early builders is that they just they decided, like, the, the grants aren't huge, but, like, you know, it's a still a nice little incentive to try and build something crazy. Yeah, and, but no uh, strings attached, really. It's it, just like, just, just here's, some, here's some ease, go and build it. Are Starknet devs um, um, mostly Discord or Telegram kind of people? Um, there's a Telegram group. Um, I don't know. I kind of get pulled in between both. Okay. I kind of wish it was just one. Um, I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cool. Are uh, they uh, are they like old yeah. DeFi hands or more from a different background? The Starknet. The Starknet. Um, you mean Starkware or? I guess just generally? the people who you interact with when you're learning how to write code for Starknet, whether it's the um, devs or not, it doesn't matter so much. Like I, the, know, I know they're the like core, academic math people, right? Like uh, they're they're all math academic gigabrains. The I mean, a lot of the developers that I talk to, and there's projects popping up every day. Um, a lot of them came from. I mean, I think any any developer that's been around for a few years always all started in DeFi. So, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so there's a few of that, and there's some there's just, there's a lot of new applications you can do. Like I think Empiric is a those guys uh, are building an on-chain Oracle. Just a new um, kind of use case that you couldn't really do on an ABM. 
put it back on chain data. So we're actually going to use that for our adventurers module. So we'll probably set a fixed price in USD, but denominate it in lords. And um, we'll use the Oracle to kind of fetch the lords um, price to do that. Uh, that'll be interesting. Yeah. Everyone's kind of DeFi devs at this point. Right. If somebody is listening to this and they love the sound of that, but they really have no intention of learning Cairo, if someone wants to be on Starknet right now, trying stuff or on a testnet of Starknet, what do they do? You will need to just to play around just with play Starknet. Around. Just as a uh, user, just play around. Well, there's, there's Voyager, uh, which is like the ESA scan, and it acts like, you know, you can connect your wallet and you can interact with contracts. So you can play around with that way. Uh, That's Voyager.online for the curious. I think I think it's Voyager. I think it's yeah. I it? that, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm just thinking the other games. I mean, you can go and play Brick, which is a it's a it's like a voxel building application that when you and you can kind of mint composable NFTs. So you have these little bricks and you can build up things, and when you mint them, they get minted as an NFT um, on Starknet. And so that's a that's probably the most successful app that exists right now. There's also Aspect, which is an NFT market. Um, and Mint Square, which is another NFT market. Um, I don't know. Influence have their running. I don't know if they're still running their alpha. Is it way still on the call? No. <laughs> Are you bailed? Um, but you can you could go and um, check out Etherway and um, sorry, Influence. Um, and they're kind of running this like alpha at the moment. And if people want to bridge, um, the way that they would pay gas is to use Stark. Yeah, you got to go to Starkgate and bridge some uh, ETH across some girly ETH. So you get girly from the paradigm force it and then um, bridge that uh, onto onto Starknet. Then you have a bunch of beta and much to play around as it costs us to interact with things. But, but so. Star- Starkgate can also do mainnet to mainnet Starknet, right? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you, say, you said go early, right? Like uh, in your example? Uh, yeah, I just mean like if you just want to muck around on some test, test note ETH. Um, okay. There's not that many, there's not that many like mainnet apps that are live um, right now. Uh, it's kind of been a slow growth. There's a lot of things happening on, on, on testnet because everyone's just testing a lot of things like Isaac's on testnet. Um, uh, the influence is on testnet right now. So, and so yeah, for them, the really is the testnet for Starknet. Also. Yeah. 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 You need, you need girly Yeah. And when you interact with the, and on Starknet, it's as if you're interacting with the Gorley one because that, that is its ultimate uh, source of truth. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's running on the girly, girly client. Very interesting. Wow. Well, I've learned a lot here. I don't want to keep you all day. <laughs> it's Saturday for you. Right? No, it's been great. It's been great. Oh, yeah. It's it's uh, it's, it's uh, what's it's uh, nine forty five. No, it's fine. I um, I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna get some breakfast and then I'm gonna get back into uh, <laughs> some Cairo. <laughs> always be grinding. Always, always be Cairo. <laughs> like the, the 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 end is in sight to like this. I mean, it's it's just crazy when you build something for this long and like it starts in this con the concept phase, and then now it's like this visual thing, and it's like working, and it's just like it gives you that drive to just get to the finish line. So, um, but I'm hoping by Monday we will have the coordinate system complete, and um, I want to introduce a bunch more people to the kind of closed um kind of probably like pre-alpha at this point. So if people are interested, they can get into your Discord, uh, pay attention, and maybe get into a future round of the alpha. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be an iterative thing, and we'll just keep introducing people. And you know, that's how we create this um this game. 
But I mean, if anyone, any devs on the call that really wants to dive in, like all our, our React codes open source, which is our client, our indexer is open source, our start, um, all our contracts are as well. Uh, it's a bit of a, you know, uh, our documentation is definitely lacking. <laughs> um, it's been pushed down the um, priority list, but that's something that we're improving. So the, the goal is to make it very easy for people to come along and build on top of this system. But we, you know, in a rapidly changing kind of project, we just didn't want to write docs. We just had to rewrite again in like a month later. So but we're reaching like, you know, version one, so to speak. Awesome. I'm super excited. Uh, I wanted to wish you a happy Realms birthday. <laughs> and loot, loot anniversary, uh, but also it's very exciting to hear that you're you're nearing the the at least the alpha and and towards the mainnet launch. It's uh it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty cool. It's been a crazy year, that's for sure. Damn. It's been a crazy year. That it has. Uh, I'm excited. I hope you'll come back when the alpha or something people can uh, can can jam on directly is really definitely definitely no. I can't wait. I'll definitely be back on. So it was it was great to um. Great to be here and chat about all this stuff anytime. All right. Thank you so yeah. much for coming through. And uh, everybody right. in the audience, see you next Friday, probably earlier in the day, uh, when I'll be talking to, I can't remember who, uh, I think Brian from Nounsdow about his new project, Address Boards, which is like discourse with Wallet Connect. Uh, <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Thanks, Loaf. This awesome. is great. All right. Thanks, man. I'll all see you later. See you. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Web3 Galaxy Brain. To keep up with everything Web3, follow me on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. You can find links to the topics discussed on today's episode in the show notes. Podcast feed links are available at web3galaxybrain.com. Web3 Galaxy Brain airs live most Friday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2200 UTC on Twitter Spaces. I look forward to seeing you there. <laughs>